Breaking the stigma of addiction. This is Zach's life, a story of love, addiction, loss, grief, and recovery. Reflecting on Zachary Horton and others in our community, both, both inside and outside of their addiction. addiction. Hosted by Jim Horton of the Zachary Horton Foundation. Hello, everyone. We, I am uh, happy to say today that I have a Lisa Smithcamp, Fresno District Attorney. Lisa, thank you so much for, uh, for coming in today. You're most welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, Lisa, I had an opportunity to meet you for the first time uh, late in December or earlier in January at the uh, at the uh, Clovis Kiwanis. Yes, on a rainy day in Clovis. So, and that's when I first realized that uh, I just imagine that the DAs uh, were stuck in an office all day, but you were out there at six thirty in the morning, and here you are over in the north end of town at uh, my podcast studio, uh, aka Zach's uh, bedroom. Uh, at in the afternoon, so uh, you uh, you don't just stay in the office all the time. No. Tell us tell us just a little bit about uh, again because it's 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 interesting for me. What what is it in two minutes that encompasses your your job? Because it's not just obviously prosecuting right people all the right. time. Yeah, so I lead a department of about three hundred people. We have a, over a hundred prosecutors in the office and. 65 investigators. We have a full investigative bureau inside the DA's office, which are detective level uh, investigators that help us uh, finish out cases and get them to trial. And then of course we have an amazing support staff. So I'm the department head um, of of the Fresno County District Attorney's Office and I'm an elected official. So um, I choose to carry a caseload. I still handle some homicide cases and some domestic violence cases once in a while. I'll take a case to trial. Uh, And then I'm the assigned prosecutor in the Veterans Treatment Court. And when I'm not doing that, we talk about budgets and getting new buildings and facilities and staffing and recruiting and retention and um, continuing education for prosecutors and managing COVID. And then in my spare time, I try to get out and be active in the community and really kind of just educate the the public about what it is that we do, what our place in um, Fresno County law enforcement is, which I always like to say the DA's office is the final, you know, uh, the final leg of the race and the relay that brings the baton over the finish line. Because you can you can police all you want, and if you don't have a strong and effective prosecutor's office, a lot of that work is for naught. Um, and so that's what we do, and I try to get out as much as I can. And um, I've spent the crux of my career prosecuting domestic violence and sexual assault cases um, and have uh, prided myself on being an advocate for uh, women and children. And now, as I have become the elected district attorney, I have kind of uh, always have that, you know, as my as my mainstay in my foundation, but I've added the veterans uh, now that we have a veterans court here. So we, um, so I try to help with some justice involved veterans in our community, which many suffer from addiction uh, because of the post-traumatic stress disorder they have from their service. Sure. And then um, most recently have become involved, um, deeply involved in the opioid crisis and the fentanyl crisis that we have here in, in Fresno and quite honestly in the whole nation. Right. And, and in fact, it was, it was that where, and we had, spoke earlier that I first saw you as, and it was in the uh, channel 30 uh, documentary killer high. Yes. yes. Uh, the silent crisis. I yes. believe that's what it was. And uh, yeah, well, what an, um, uh, gosh, how, how, how amazing to see something like that come to come to light. And uh, after, after Zach passed uh, two years ago now, um, I remember wondering how is it that we don't, and, and then I started hearing the stats, you know, between 20 and 21, you know, a hundred thousand people 
yeah. you know, died of, of overdoses. How is it that we don't hear about it all the time? I mean, I was just shocked by that. So when I saw the documentary come out, I, I was I was excited to 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 see that. Yeah. To talk about what that experience was like for you, just in in creating that, and and how uh, I'm sure anytime we have an event happen in our lives that's different from what normal life is like. It, it changes us somehow. It changes the way sure. we think. It, it has yeah. an impact on us. Maybe that's even well, better. You know, How did it, what was it for you? It's funny that you bring up Killer High because it really is it, it's such a powerful piece, you know, that, that has really kind of gone nationwide. I mean, it's it's streaming on Hulu, not just here locally. It's, it's, it's all over. People are watching it. We're getting emails from the Netherlands and, you know, from Europe. People are watching it all over the place. Um, and, and it's funny for me personally, because I'm not a shy person. I've been standing in front of juries for, for years and years and years. I can st- st- talk in front of 5,000 people, but when you put a camera in front of me or a microphone, I get very nervous and media is not my thing. And, uh, this fentanyl and opioid crisis has put me in front of the camera more than I have ever been. I always tried to kind of lay low under the radar. So being running for DA was a little bit pushing me out of my comfort zone, but Killer High was really pushing me out of my comfort zone. Uh, but what happened was um, the um, Fresno is very unique because we are such an impoverished county. We're, we're kind of a poor county. And there are federal um, law enforcement agencies here, but they're very small. And, you know, of course, our police and sheriff department do a great job, but we, we all have to collaborate and we have a very close relationship with the U.S. Attorney's Office, the FBI, the DEA, Homeland Security. And so... There's a task force of people here known as the FORT, the Fentanyl Overdose uh, Response Team. And um, they came to us with a case and mentioned to me that they were having trouble with their education and awareness process because they were not getting any um, feedback from schools and that they felt it was really important to address this with the, you know, 15 to 20-year-old population. And I have a really good relationship with the superintendents. And so I thought, oh, no problem. I'll go in there and I'll, I'll help them. So that's really how all of this started is the law enforcement officers and the, and the federal agents who were working on the opioid crisis um, through a conversation over a case just mentioned this to me in passing. And I said, I can certainly help you. So we went, um, I sort of joined the fort, if you will. And we started going to schools and uh, talking to Jim Yavino, who is the superintendent of Fresno County Schools, who has been a tremendous partner in this. Um, talking to behavioral health, talking to public health, and sort of putting all of those uh, those entities together so that so that we stopped operating in silos. We also, um, from the law enforcement perspective, reached out to the local hospitals who who before we started knocking on their doors were not ever testing for fentanyl in the emergency rooms. Uh, you know, so so wow. so kids that were coming in or young adults that were coming in with fentanyl overdoses, they were not testing for that. So now, you know, heroin has been a street drug for a long time, methamphetamine, amphetamine, cocaine. They would screen for all those. But we got the hospitals to start, you know, implementing that the, that that fentanyl testing also. So that's how um, it was really killer high was really born out of Channel 30 just being very generous the same people who produced the um, Emmy award-winning documentary on the Creek Fire came to us. They attended our press conference where we had all of those entities I mentioned before kind of coming together, you know, boots on the ground, law enforcement, district attorney, federal prosecutors, federal agents, um, county superintendents of schools and, uh, and hospitals, and the coroner, who is the sheriff, coming together and saying, hey, we're all fighting this together. 
Uh, and, and Channel 30 said, if you will provide us the content, we will pay for the whole production. Wow. And they did. So we were very lucky. And we've also been lucky to have the partnership with the schools because all of Fresno Unified, Central Unified, and Clovis Unified has um, aired Killer High in their PE classes. And they've had discussions with the children. And I've gone out, and I know some of the DEA agents and the Fresno PD guys have gone out and spoken to the kids and answered questions and things like that. So it's really been a beneficial learning tool. And it's educating parents. It's educating regular people. You know, I was at the surgery center a couple weeks ago just having a routine old lady procedure. And uh, the nurse said to me, uh, we're going to prep you for your procedure. And I said, okay, no fentanyl. And she, <laughs> she laughed and she said, you're the, you're the district attorney, aren't you? And I said, I am. I said, and I don't want any fentanyl. And she said, okay, we have, a, we have something that we can put you to sleep with that is non-narcotic. Because I've had this procedure many times, and uh, uh, sadly, you know, I have to have a, uh, have a condition in my family that runs, runs in my family, so I have to be screened every year. And, you know, it put me out for the day. And without even knowing that I could have a non-narcotic or whatever it was, some kind of different medicine that wasn't fentanyl, uh, she gave it to me. They gave that to me, the anesthesiologist did, and I, I, I literally went back to work that same day. I had my procedure at 1015. I was home by noon and I was at the office by 1245 and I felt like I had had nothing. So, you know, I think, um, I think killer high in the experience of this is educating all of us, even me and how to take better care of ourselves and our kids. Well, and, uh, I think I, I had mentioned to you earlier, I've, 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 I've watched killer high a couple of times. And even the first time that I saw it, there were, uh, a couple statements that you said that really spoke to me mm -hmm. and, and, and one that was, I think that that's so important and so exactly what you're talking about now is you said we cannot police or prosecute our way out of this crisis. We have to educate people. That's right. And, and just what you were speaking about with, with this, with the schools, because red ribbon week is a hallmark of what happens every year in, in, in every school. Um, and I often say when I was, you know, when, when, when Zach was in elementary school, you know, there would be, you know, big festivity for the week and a, and a big celebration of Red Ribbon Week. And uh, at that time, I would say, well, if you've got third, fourth, and fifth graders, you don't have any addicts running around, right? Hopefully not, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and the peer pressure uh, in, in, in that situation is about is about the having fun and about sure. about the learning and and the and and just repeating back sure. right? awareness about, I think at that point yeah, yeah. And, and, and awareness but as soon as as soon as the peer pressure changes in middle school or in in, in high school because we know that we know that seventh and eighth grade is when is when most children try drugs for the first time that's when it's that's when it's introduced if if there's a first time use it often happens or that's when it starts. It seldom, seldom starts before then. So that, that's what the, the data shows is it, it's in there. But, and, and I, I often say to parents when I'm talking, if, if you have any doubt who has the greater influence on you or on your child once they're a teenager, all you have to do is ask yourself, does their haircut look more like your haircut or like their friends? Right. Do the clothes they wear look more like your clothes or like their friends, sure. right? And then that's how we know where the where the influence is. So to hear that, to hear that, the educational message that's coming is coming from information like Killer High and the people that are talking about that. It's no longer just a just say no campaign. 
but but it, it is a let's educate you about about the real about the real dangers. Right. I think drugs are just like you know just like sex. If you don't talk to your kids about sex, someone else is. That's right. And if you don't talk to your kids about drugs, someone else will. And so they they have to be armed with knowledge. They have to yes. be armed with information so that when they do come across that opportunity to face it and make a decision whether they're going to try it or they're not, at least they know something and they can make an informed decision. It doesn't mean they're going to make the right decision, but at least they know something about it and they can pause or they can think. And I and and I think that what, you know when we say we can't you know, police or prosecute our way out of this, that it brings on a whole bunch of political ramifications about the amount of, of drugs that are being um, brought into the country. Uh, you know, we, we can go round and round with law enforcement people with doctors too, because there's many wonderful doctors in the world and doctors are, um, they take an oath to heal, right? And they don't, they don't take an oath to cross-examine. They don't take an, an, an oath to investigate. They don't take an oath to, to criticize. They take an oath to heal and they take an oath to, to, and part, part of that is prescribing drugs that help people, that heal people, that cure their, their ailments, their, their bacterial infections and their pain. And so, you know, sometimes the law enforcement community and the medical community goes back and forth because there's some medical, medical people that sometimes over prescribe things because it is not their job to, to maybe identify the person who's not honest um, and I find with my experience with the, the education community, they don't want to be harsh or mean or cruel. And I always say there's a reason that Lisa Sondergaard Smithcamp did not become a kindergarten teacher is because I'm as subtle <laughs> as a bull in a China shop. And I, I will scare your kids. If you don't want to scare your kids, I'll scare, I'll scare them for you. And that's what we try to do is we try to scare them into paying attention to the fact that this crisis can be them. It is them. It is their friends. It is their peers. It is the 4.0s. It is the wrestlers. It's the cheerleaders. It's the swimmers. It's the band guy. It's the kid who's involved in the theater. It's every kid. It's a black kid. It's a white kid. It's a rich kid. It's a poor kid. It doesn't matter. Opioids can get everyone and they're not like other drugs. They're different. And so if we come at the opioid crisis and the fentanyl crisis with a one size fits all approach to education, awareness at treatment and recovery, we're going to miss the boat. And so we have to start thinking outside the box and doing, you know, unconventional things. Because when I ran for DA in 2014, I was a domestic violence, sexual assault prosecutor. uh, And I was a good prosecutor. I was a good courtroom prosecutor, but I, I never had any idea of what relevance the office of the district attorney could have with schools and hospitals and, you know, NGOs and, and, and nonprofit organizations until I got out there and people started pulling at me saying, Hey, come and talk about this, come and talk about that. And so that's been sort of, if, if I leave a legacy, when I go out of this job, I think that's what, what it'll be is the timing was right for it. We, we really have never had a DA in Fresno who's done that. Um, you know, gone out to, on all these limbs, which sometimes much to the chagrin of my staff, because they have to clean up my messes and handle my stuff that I'm not traditionally handling because I'm off doing things like this. But I think it's an important part of it because we have to educate our community. We have to talk to our adults, our grandparents. And it could be something as simple as, you know, locking up your prescriptions. Yes. Because so many times, you know, we see kids who are grabbing their auntie's Vicodin from her knee surgery, or they go over to see grandma and grandma, you know, has really bad whatever from when she fell and 
and, and hurt her hip and broke her hip. So she has a whole bottle of whatever pain medication. And that's oftentimes how we see it. We see star athletes that are overprescribed pain medication. You know, uh, my daughter went to go get her wisdom teeth out and the, the, the wonderful oral surgeon who I know well and respect and admire, uh, gave us a prescription for 30 Vicodin. And I said, Oh no, (laughs) we're not having this at our house. And my poor daughter, you know, she had to, I said, if it gets really bad, uh, she had one tooth that was really impacted. I said, if it gets bad, I'll call you. And so in a couple of days she was just in tears and she said, mom, it's really bad. Uh, and the Advil wasn't working. So we right. got three tramadol, literally. I said, let's get her through a day and see how we do. And we got her through the day and then we went back to the Advil. And you know, that's dramatic, but it, my kid is just as susceptible as everybody else's kid, you know? And it's just to the point where you have to be cognizant that this can happen to anyone. You know, Lisa, I remember I was um, speaking to a group of parents and at the at the end of the discussion, one of the parents asked me, and I've, I've mentioned this before, said, well, Jim, do you know who your who your son's dealer was? Because our, our first response is to, my first response was to... Blame someone else. I had to. Of course. I had to. And I said to them, you know, most likely one of his first dealers was probably me and his mother. Because... In my generation, when we have an operation and we get medication and we don't finish it, we save it. Sure, you hoard it for the next time that for you the might next fall. Time I, or I'm in pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and being older, we're in pain often. Right, and you don't have to pay the $20 copay to see your doctor because you already know that that one Vicodin is going to help you through the day. Sure, but, but, and but, you're not abusing it. Right, but what, we do, what, what I didn't understand or what I didn't think about is, again, because... You know, my son at that time was 10, 11, 12, 13. I never thought about, never heard about how we should clear out medications out of our, out of our house. Yeah. And, and if it's not, if it wasn't my son that could have been taking it, it could have been any of his friends that sure. came over. Because I guarantee you when they, if, if you have, if you have grandchildren, if you have children, if you have young adults, if you have anyone, they come into your bathroom, the medicine cabinet comes open, they see what's there. And if anyone has any kind of an issue, that's where they're getting, especially here in the north end of, sure. in the north end of town. A Pills dear, are such a big A big dear issue. friend of mine, uh, my best friend from high school, her mom had her um, carpets cleaned. And she was literally in bed recovering from a knee surgery. And she called me and she said, Lisa, I think the carpet cleaner stole my pain medication. And, and I happen to know the carpet cleaner. I happen to know the owner of the carpet company, cleaning company. And I called him and I said, hey, this is what this lady at this address said. And he said, I'll look into it. And sure enough, he confronted the kid who was the carpet cleaner. And he admitted, I've got a bad opioid addiction. And yeah, I stole wow. the pills. So, you know, it happens in all kinds of scenarios. And that's why, you know, you say, you know, you're at the Kiwanis at 630 in the morning. And here you are, you know, on a Thursday afternoon uh, you know, talking to me, it's because I'll go anywhere. Uh, if, if it's five people or 5,000 people, if they think it's important to hear from the district attorney and they feel like I have something important to say, I'll say it. And I will share whatever personal and professional information that I can, because we in law enforcement, when we do really effective education and awareness campaigns, whether it be for human trafficking, domestic violence, drug addiction, sex trafficking, we never get to know how many people we saved. 
because the people who don't die and the people who don't get addicted and the people who don't uh, end up in domestic violence relationships because of something we've taught them, they don't become a statistic that we know. And, and they may not even know that they could have been that person who right. killed someone driving drunk that night, but right. they heard right. this talk or, or, you know, a, a, a mom or a dad who put away their Vicodin. So, so we just do it and we just do it knowing that, um, the more people that know more information, the better off our community will be. Well, and, and at least like you and I were talking about earlier that, you know, the addiction crisis that we have in our country now developed over decades Absolutely. And, and it comes from a lot of different, if it were only fentanyl that we had to worry about, that might be an easy fix if that were it, right? It, or if it were only methamphetamine or if it were fentanyl, only alcohol. Or, fentanyl is the, you know, it's this, the, the latest, greatest gorilla. It's a, it's a, it's a fierce and fast killer, but fentanyl is the, is the, is sort of the, the coup de gras of the opioid crisis because we have a fentanyl, we have fentanyl crisis because of the opioid crisis. And right. if you, you know, I know you watched Killer High, but there's another documentary that's out, I believe it's on Netflix, stars Michael Keaton. It's called um, Dope Sick. And it is, a, have you seen it? I've, I, I haven't seen it yet. Well, if you want to upset yourself yeah. about the pharmaceutical companies and particularly, particularly oh, I did Purdue, see that. Oh, that's right. That's Purdue right. Pharma. You know what? I read the book first. I, I read the book and then, and then I saw that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'm yeah, telling you, a, after 25 or 26 years of being a prosecutor, it's hard to shock Lisa Smitkamp. I was in shock when I watched that. And I know it's, you know, a Hollywood production, so it's probably not 100% accurate, but it's sure right, based. And right, there's, right. you know, there's been an active lawsuit against that family and that pharmaceutical company. But to see the corruption that goes on. And again, I have very good friends that are pharmaceutical reps and they, they do wonderful things. They heal people, they help people. Uh, but but some of those companies and and some of the government officials that we have are corrupt and dirty and they're and they they have done things for greed and money that have killed millions of people in this country. You know, and, and unfortunately, it, it has to become a crisis of such an incredible magnitude before before we talk about it, right? Because well, 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 we don't know, recognize. Jim, it. here's the problem: is we're Americans. We're too busy. Yeah. We're too busy doing all these other things, right? We're too busy making money. We're too busy getting educated. We're too busy getting ourselves pretty so we can post our pictures on Facebook and make all of our neighbors think that we're the best family in the world, right? Our priorities have changed and, and they have not changed for the better, right? We're not worried about going to church anymore or synagogue or temple on Sundays or Saturdays because we have to get our kids to their travel teams, we don't eat dinner, and, and, I'm, and I'm guilty. My kids were on travel teams. Uh, we don't eat dinner together at night anymore because it's too inconvenient, right? Last night right. we were doing the dishes at my house, and my daughter looked over at me, and she said, we should have just gone to heirloom, Mom, because, you know, there was roasting pans and pots to boil the broccoli, and there was dishes. And I said, I know, honey, but we can't eat out every night. You know, there's value in cooking together, sitting together, eating together, and you learning how to do the dishes, uh, and we've lost those values. And I'm, I'm just as guilty of it as anybody else is. Uh, but I think we really have to concentrate on the fact that the statistics for the United States of America are appalling. We, we are like 4.4% of the world's population, and we consume 85% of the world's opioids. Wow. Yeah. Uh, not sometime when it's nice to shout we're number one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And you know why? Because Americans don't like to be in pain. Yeah. We don't like to be inconvenienced. And you know, I told but, my... But, but the opioids, and I, I think I remember this from Dope the, they were the 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 oxycotton revolution that yes. that that, st- that yes. pretty much started everything those weren't ever intended initially to to be the end all for any kind of pain that was at the most the, well, the, that, that was at the highest end of the, the pain the, scale. The promise and the false information that came from the pharmaceutical company to the to the CDC was that it wasn't addictive. It was just right. the miracle worker. It was just going right. to be the miracle drug and it wasn't going to be addictive. And for the 1% of people that took it, uh, that were going to have addiction problems, it would be fine because for the other 99%, and I'm making those numbers up, I right. don't know what it was, right. but the numbers were very low that they anticipated and they, and they fudged the, 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 the stats, they fudged yeah. the research, you know, all for money. And so, and, and there's an active lawsuit that, that Purdue went through and, and just had a big, they just had a big settlement um, in, in the United States district court. So, so the, the consistency between the documentary and the actual lawsuit was very close. So I think that for people that are interested in learning about how this crisis, you know, and and that's just one story of how the crisis became, you know, at epidemic levels, it's a really good story to see. And, and, uh, and I gotta say again, my, my ignorance when, when Zach became addicted to opioids, was that I thought this was only a problem that happened back in Kentucky. Sure. I didn't know that it was a West Coast problem. I thought it was just geographically, you know, stuck there. And and now it's interesting. So so you know, we can we can all agree that that big pharma and the greed that happened there started this opioid crisis. Absolutely. And, and now, now it's the big greed of the local drug dealers that can yes. turn a hundred dollars of a, of a drug uh, into 5,000 with just a little fentanyl. Yeah. And the, and the drug cartels, uh, you know, they, they are producing these pills in mills down in South of the border, you know, and everybody you can, in this politically correct world we live in now, you can't say the, the M word, you know, you can't say Mexico, but the bottom line at the end of the day is the fentanyl is being produced in China it's being sold to the Mexican drug cartels and the Mexican drug cartels are bringing it over the border and they're distributing it all over the United States of America. And, you know, in the, in the United States, we have 5,000 special agents in the Drug Enforcement Administration. And that's not enough. That's not enough. And, and you know, so I, where, I... Where do we see the... I mean, those are just staggering. That's And again, the, the, the last bust that happened, you know, there was enough fentanyl in, in that car to, you know, wipe out an entire county kill like 500,000 people right right so so, so uh, what's our what's our solution or our answer because again here's the challenge so you know you and I we we educate right we want to we want to make people aware we got to make sure that that kids understand it may not be the pot that you're smoking that's going to kill you or the Xanax that you decide to try that's going to kill you but it's what it's laced with Sure. And you don't know where it came from. Right. Right. right? So, and you don't so, know where that happened. So, I mean, we got to stop them from, from using it or from, from trying it. So that awareness there, but how, so, on your so end, what, how are you taking care of carloads of, uh, well, of fentanyl that are well, coming? Well, I mean, let's just face it. Increased domestic violence, increased sexual abuses, increased child abuses, increased gun crimes, increased homicides, all related to drugs and the homelessness. I mean, come on. It is not a coincidence that in, in 2015, when Prop 47 became law, 
and all of the possession of methamphetamine, cocaine, and heroin was reduced from a felony to a misdemeanor, which basically in some counties, they don't even prosecute those cases anymore. It's just, a, it's literally not a crime. It's almost like marijuana. It's not a crime because they, the police don't have the resources. We call the feds because in the federal system, those crimes, that amount of, of pills or drugs or whatever still carries a significant prison sentence. But when you, when you pull over somebody who's a runner for the cartels in a car that has 900,000 fake, uh, fake Percocet pills that are laced with fentanyl, guess what? You can arrest the driver and the passenger for possession. But when you get them in and you interrogate them and you try to find out who they're getting them from, who's next up on the ladder and they don't talk, what do you do? Because they know at the cartel level, which is where that mass production and that mass number is coming from, if they talk, not only will they be killed in prison, but their families will be killed. Right. So, right. so they don't talk. So it's extremely difficult to, uh, it's extremely difficult to prosecute and investigate these cases. And that's why, again, circling back around, we have to educate our kids because, you know, I have a saying that again is probably another Lisa Smith camp, brutal scare the kids and Oh God, it'll make my ears burn. But I tell parents this all the time. Kids want to get high. They don't want to die. Right. And the opioids are the best way for them to die because the Vicodin and the Oxy and all of those pills in, you know, five years ago, they led to heroin and kids started hitting the needle and kids started mixing with meth. Right. Now they're going to these counterfeit <clears throat> pills that are Zanny bars that are fake Percocets, the M30 pills, the blues, the perks, whatever they are. And they don't even have any of that narcotic in them. When they come over the border, they are basically acetaminophen, which is Tylenol, dyed blue, laced with fentanyl. And once they have a hit, once they have a taste of that fentanyl, they are constantly chasing that high. And this is not the party drug of the 80s. You know, I'm a, I'm a child of the 80s and people would, you know, do cocaine and go to parties and discos and dance and, you know, pick up women or men. And, and it was a big party drug. You know, you'd hear stories or see movies of people doing it in the bathroom at a disco or a club. It was a party drug, right? Alcohol and cocaine. And then it was meth in the 90s. It was a big party drug. You got high, you talked a lot, you sweat, you lost weight. That's not this. This is a drug that people take to calm down. This is a, a drug that people take at the end of a night. This is the drug that people take to go to sleep. We find these kids with their headphones on playing video games dead in their bed, in their house. This is not the same drug from 20, 30 right. years ago. Right. It's, it's a different well, time. And, and we talked about that earlier, just the difference in the, the marijuana of the, of the 70s was perhaps 4 to 5% THC. And marijuana today, uh, edibles that you get in 95% THC. It's a different. Marijuana today is a whole nother animal. And, you know, I think people have always said that for generations, you know, so it's not your mother's marijuana, it's not your grandmother's marijuana, but it's really not. It is, it is chemically different than it was in the seventies, eighties, and even nineties. It is genetically engineered in these grow labs 
to be more, to be more quote unquote effective and what it does. And again, in the old days, right in the seventies, you look back at all those movies and all those people that smoked pot in the seventies, they were happy people. They ate a few burritos. They, they said, peace, love, and joy. They wanted to end the war. You know, everybody was mellow and falling asleep. The, the, the marijuana of today is giving kids anxiety. They think they're going to smoke it to relax, and it's actually increasing their anxiety. Some kids are getting a disorder that's actually putting them into the emergency rooms with flu-like symptoms, and it's THC intoxication from smoking marijuana two or yeah. three times a week. The body just can't can't uh, process it and, and eliminate it fast right. enough, and right. they get ill. They vomit, and they have flu-like symptoms. It's scary. It's really, yeah. really scary stuff. And, and, and again, I, I can't thank you enough, Lisa, for the work that you do. Again, in just t- taking time from your other schedule to, to be able to, to share this kind of information. Because there's, there's people that you're going to reach. There are people that will listen to the podcast today because you were here. Well, thank you. And, 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 and they're going to be able to, to hear a message that, that otherwise they wouldn't, they wouldn't hear. And so that is that is so so valuable, and and the work you do, and, and I know, I know, I know you do it because it's your job, but I can tell it's also a passion. Yeah. It's also a passion for you. Yeah, and, I've been doing this a long time, and and I'm pretty I'm I'm pretty much ready to you know hang it up. Uh, Twenty five years in this business is a long time for anybody, and I'm you know I'm definitely approaching retirement age, but but I'm still going, and and as long as the voters want me to be the DA and the people in the office want me to be the DA, I'm going to stick around. Uh, and keep doing the work because because I do love this community and I love children um, and I just love people. And, you know, if, if if God has given me any gifts, it's the gift of gab. And so I'll talk if people will listen. Well, and I would encourage you even after you retire, that there's certainly a, a place for your voice. Oh, thank you. Uh, at, at, and, and again, uh, around, and I was talking to someone the other day and I said, you know, and I, I don't know that this is true. I hope that it's not but I believe that I'll be wrong. Uh, when fentanyl changes, there's going to be something after fentanyl. Well, there's and, already a few that are, that are, yeah. that are coming along. And, and, and that's what we do. fentanyl is one of them, which right. is an elephant yeah. tranquilizer. So yeah, it is. So, so there's, there's always, there's always going to be something. And, and, and again, I, I, I think that how we approach it, becoming aware of it, giving real information uh, to people so, so they can begin to make better decisions for parents like myself who thought they knew yeah. uh, everything, you know, pulling my head out of the sand, pulling our heads out of the sand and really listening, not being so ego driven to where we say, not my child, yeah. this, this can't happen. And that was something else that, that you had said in the, um, that, that you said in, in the movie you, you had, you talked about, uh, you know, how, you have Narcan in your house. I do. Now. I do. And, and, but you know, your kids will never oh. need it or, or, or we hope, but, but you know what? But here's what I tell people when I talk about Narcan, it's like having the fire extinguisher in yeah. your house. I don't have yeah. a fire extinguisher in my house because I'm going to go set a fire. Yeah. Right. But what if my neighbor doesn't have a fire extinguisher and he needs it? Yeah. Right. Well, you know, my first reaction to, you know, one of the radio reporters asked me while we were doing all this media, you know, do you have Narcan in your house? And I, you know, my, my, even though I know all this, I said, no, I, I mean, I have good kids. And as it was coming out of my mouth, I thought, Lisa, that's ridiculous. 
And it was a little bit of a, an aha moment for me thinking, you know, my kids are teenagers, you know, they are, they're susceptible, they're at that age. And so, of course, you know, I, I was able to just, I had a couple resources where I could get it quickly. I called Dr. Vora at the health department and I said, Dr. Vora, how do I get this? Because it, you can't just show up and find it. It is a, a little bit difficult to find, but uh, there, there are nonprofit organizations and there sure. are different places that you can obtain Narcan. And I do have it in my home and I've shown it to my children uh, my son is peanut allergic the other, and he was looking for an EpiPen the other day. And I, and I, he said, mom, I'm leaving. And I left my backpack over at so-and-so's house and I need an EpiPen. <laughs> and, and I looked and I couldn't find a spare EpiPen, but I found three things in Narcan, you know, and I kind of giggled to myself because I thought, wow, hasn't, haven't times changed around here. But, but um, how, how, how great, how great that you, that you see that. And, and that's the, that's the mindset that I want every that's a great place for people to to start at yeah. and again that's why your message is is so is so important yeah. and and lisa as we close down today um I, I always offer every guest i if if you could speak today to to parents that are listening to this um is there a message that you want them to hear well, um, first of all, I think that I would like to commend you and your wife for your bravery um, and in the middle of your grief that you have this podcast and that you've taken this mission on and that you've established this foundation. And I want to thank you for having me. Um, and I want to offer my condolences on the loss of your beautiful son. Thank you. I cannot imagine the grief um, that you live with every day. So I think my message to parents would be, you know, as I sit here in your son's room and I look at your beautiful home in a wonderful neighborhood, a gated community, you know, you clearly are professionals. Um, you shared with me a little bit about how much you loved your son, how much you did for your son is that the message is this can be your child and you can have a child who appears to be perfect, who appears to have great grades and be an athlete or in the band or have wonderful friends. And one day you can come home and unbeknownst to you, your child could be dead in their bed. And that's ugly and horrible to hear. But the, the, the great evil that we all bring into our homes every day is the cell phone. And the cell phone is the child's or the adolescent's or the, the young adult's key to the kingdom to do bad things. And to, to bring that in, because that's where 99% of kids are communicating with other kids right. to find the source, to find the place. So no matter how safe you think your home is, if your child or your loved one has a cell phone, they have a beeline. You know, in the, in the old days, you had to get in your car and go to meet your drug dealer. You had to go to the seedy car wash. You had to go to the bad part of town. You had to go to the shopping center parking lot. To, to make a connect, to do a hand-to-hand -hand transaction. You don't have to do that anymore. We have Snapchat. We have all of these apps that kids use to advertise the drugs, to sell the drugs, to market the drugs, to encourage the use of the drugs. And the delivery system now is through cash apps, through Venmo or Cash App or whatever these, right. these, these phone applications are. And the pills or the heroin or the drugs or the meth or whatever they're buying can be literally dropped off just like Uber Eats or DoorDash at your door. And you think your kid's being gracious and taking out the trash or going to get the mail or going to wash your car or whatever, but he or she's really picking up their, their delivery. 
And, you know, we had a couple of OD deaths here uh, in Fresno during COVID. And the, the moms would say, but they never left the house. How did they get drugs here? Nobody came over and they never left the house during the pandemic. Well, they were dropping it over the back fence or they were putting it on the tire of of grandma's car while she was visiting or whatever, you know, and they were delivering it. So mm. I think that's the message is that, you know, you have to pull your head out of the sand and realize that even if you do have a wonderful kid who isn't anxious or isn't depressed or isn't any of the things that we like to classify the user as, right. you're still you're still susceptible to this. I tell my kids this every day. You never know what is going to happen to you to put you in that vulnerable spot where you think like, ugh, I just want to take this. I just want to try this. Because we all did it as teenagers. Any any adult who says that they never tried anything, whether it was a beer before they were 21 or smoked a joint or whatever drugs they might have experimented with, I think they would be um, few and far between of people who didn't do that. But the, the, the difference today is the drugs are so different that they are lethal. They are lethal so much earlier for these kids and they don't have a chance to grow up. They don't have a chance to learn how to make those decisions like we did by little, you know, bouts of oops, shouldn't have done that, you know, little warnings. Um, it's, it comes on quick and it, it really is the silent killer. These opioids and this fentanyl is the silent killer. So don't, don't, don't think it can't happen to you. Talk to your kids, tell them about it. And you know, everybody rips up Nancy Reagan and the just say no, but you know, that's really, if you boil it all down, if you take all the education and all the awareness, you want it to equal that you want it to end up in the don't try it. You know, I I mean, I tell my kids, if you, if you're going to be out and you're doing things okay, and you want to drink a beer, that's fine. We'll deal with that. Don't ever drive. I have a a senior and I tell her all the time, if you're going to go out and you want to drink alcohol, I don't condone it. I don't want you to, but it's probably not going to kill you. Alcohol and driving a whole nother subject. But if you want to try wine or you try beer, you want to, okay, call someone, call me. I'm in the DA. Yes, but I will pick you up. We have that deal in our house. Just because I'm in law enforcement doesn't mean I'm exempt with my children right? I, it's every day. And, and I tell them, don't take pills. Do not snort powder. It can kill you. And some of the marijuana even today is laced with fentanyl because these dealers don't care. They don't care about your kids. Yeah. Lisa, thank you again. Thank you so much for sharing, sharing from your heart and from, uh, the, the, the message that you have about education and awareness yeah, is just because so I'm a mom, I'm a mom. And, and, and that's the most important job we can it, all have as being good parents. It's so important as always reach out to someone close to you today and tell them that you love them. I'm Zach's dad. This has been an episode of Zach's life. Thank you so much for listening. For more info on our foundation and for addiction resources, visit ZacharyHortonFoundation.org or check us out on Facebook and Instagram. If you have a story to tell and want to be a guest on our podcast, email me directly at jim at zacharyhortonfoundation.org.